I'm Jason Baylor Losh, and you're listening to Seeing is Forgetting Conversations on Contemporary Art and Culture in Los Angeles and Beyond. Today's guest is my friend Kibum Kim. He is an art lawyer who works for the Sotheby's Institute. He is the co founder of the Nude Art Fair, and he is the owner operator of the gallery Skibum MacArthur here in Los Angeles. About 30 minutes into the interview, he also gives a masterclass, Cliff's Notes version, of the Korean art market and uh, contemporary Korean art. I think the most remarkable thing about everything that Kibum is doing is that he is not doing it for his own financial gain. The gallery doesn't operate in a way that puts artists in a position that they have to sell the work. He doesn't represent artists. He shows artists. The Nude Art Fair was built to provide opportunity and a format for people to see work and to expose work to masses that maybe it wouldn't have been seen otherwise. He's an all-around great guy, and I am fortunate to uh, call him a friend. So, here's Kibo. Kibum, welcome to the show, and thank you for taking the time to be on. Thank you for having me. You just got off a really long flight back from Korea. Mm-hmm. So when we were setting this up, you didn't know if you were going to have jet lag or not. I didn't. Um, I'm feeling okay, but it might be a bit of a loopy conversation. I'm okay with that. I, I'm okay, too. So <laughs> let's go. Let's start by talking about, I mean, you're looking at your, your CV, your resume, and seeing all the things you've done. And we've known each other, I think, what now? Almost two years, right? Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. And we met at, we had the crazy, I think we met in sort of a weird way. We were both at a studio visit for somebody else mm-hmm. who later went on to do the first show at your gallery, mm-hmm. uh, Benoit. And we should say Benoit's last name as well, too. Plateau. Plateau. Mm-hmm. I didn't say it because I was afraid I'd say it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> And then after that, we just sort of hooked up and you came over into the studio visit with me. But like you were living in New York at the time. And then whenever you came back into L.A., you'd, we, we'd get together and have dinners and everything. It was just nice. Mm-hmm. It was really a nice way to get to know somebody. But since then, you've moved from New York and come back to L.A. And you are I mean, you were teaching in New York as well as teaching out here. You teach for Sotheby's Institute, correct? Yes, correct. And you're a lawyer. Mm hmm. And you run the Nude Art Fair, mm-hmm. and you own a gallery. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a bit about, I guess let's start with um, you being a lawyer. When you went to school where? In New York, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I went to law school a few years after college, um, initially to become like a human rights lawyer. So I focused more on international law and things like that while I was in school. And that's what my summer jobs were in. Taking art law was just like on a lark. You know, like a like, side thing? Yeah, um, as like an elective, even though there aren't really like any majors in law school. Um, and I really fell in love with it and thought that I had a knack for it. You know, one thing just kind of led to another. My professor, uh, Amy Adler, was quite prominent in the field and um, sort of guided me. Is that how law school, I, I know nothing about law school. My brother's a lawyer, but mm-hmm. I, I haven't ever bothered to ask. I should have. How does law school work? Like, could you just miss sort of your calling if you don't take an elected class in something? I mean, wait, so there aren't any majors in law school. Usually the first year is the core curriculum. My God, I totally forget what it was called. Uh, 
but everyone takes the same classes. And then the second and third year, you start to focus in on, on different areas you might be interested in, like tax law, constitutional law, corporate law, whatever it may be. And really, most law schools don't offer a robust art law program. It's not exactly a... So what was the draw to that for you to even like think that that might be something? Was it just totally on a whim or what was it? Yeah, totally on a whim. I, honestly, there, there was one art law class offered at my school um, and I took it fall semester of my second year. So was this before... Okay, looking at... You were a freelance journalist too mm-hmm. and you were looking at fashion and, and cultural trends. Was this... Were you doing this before law school? Yeah, that was before law school. Okay. So I started up my career in finance. You know, I was like young and idealistic. And like an investment banker type finance, yes, though, right? Yes, I did M&A in 2006 or something. So it was like shooting fish in a barrel. This is crazy. Very, very different times from um, the uh, economic conditions we're in now. So when you, how did you get into investment banking then? Like where did that come I, from? I majored in economics in college with, it, with English. And where at? At uh, Georgetown. And then, oh, that's right. We had the DC connection. Yes. So I moved to New York right after and started out at Bloomberg and then worked at Investment Bank Associate General. Did you just think it, like, how did you go from investment banking into being a lawyer? I mean, that's a big decision. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah from, from one kind of like corporate one uh, huge, to well, another. Exactly. And it's a huge, they're both time intensive and sort of intense. Like yeah. To, yeah. In my mind, um, so I, I, I started out in finance. Uh, it was interesting i learned a lot um you know earned decent money which was nice uh and i thought i wanted to pursue my dream of like being a writer uh yeah so i quit and did writing for about a year um and going to law school i thought was kind of a but you were writing for some major publications too yeah no i kind of got lucky with that i i actually like cold pitched the new york times first time and got a assignment with my second pitch so that's unbelievable yeah um but what type of it's a rough 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 uh industry to be in what type of things were you writing about and why why was it rough like oh just just about like cultural trends but you know i I thought uh kind of with a uh so what was that first pitch for the new york times oh my god the first first pitch was about uh um, skinny jeans becoming popular, but I thought I had a smart take on it. Um, no, it was really, really smart. <laughs> Not really. But the, the, the second one that actually became a story was about the kafia, um, the, the Middle Eastern, like Palestinian, um, headscarf that oh, like, yeah. Arafat wore that became like a huge fashion trend, um, around 07, I guess. Yeah. And like urban outfitters started carrying it and it became this very, mainstream thing and i wanted to i thought it was interesting um how this kind of uh visual symbol of well firstly like 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 it was just a you know uh like like a common um garment that people have been wearing for a long long time but then it became this political symbol for various nations and then it, 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 it kind of got co-opted and adopted by, by hipsters hipsters who didn't necessarily have any um, political convictions behind it, but they saw it as some sort of like a subversive symbol because they knew that it carries some political meaning. But yeah. then that political meaning got kind of denuded and diluted. Co-opted. Yeah. And um, 
Like I remember like just just when I was working on the story, when Urban Outfitters started carrying them, there were some protests and they ended up having to pull it. Right. Okay, that's an, that's really interesting. And you know, like all these all these like visual symbols and cues, and that's what I think is like like a, in some ways it's related to my interest and in now my investment in working in visual culture is, I think how we communicate, how meanings are relayed and interpreted and propagated works a little bit differently with images. Um, and uh, I find that fascinating. And that was something that I really enjoyed uh, delving into in law school as well. I can see this in how you program your gallery too. You only had two shows there, but it totally makes sense now looking at this and looking at the nude fair as well too. It all sort of comes comes together. Thank you. I think it all ties together. Well, no, it's, it's highly, it's really interesting. Okay. You did this for a while, and then you realized that this world was really sort of rough. You probably made zero money. Right, like negative. Ne yeah, right. So you made zero money. It's tough to, to pitch these things and sort of come around and have like probably an influence on things directly as well, too, or as quickly as you probably wanted, right? Yeah. And, and, like, and like the print industry, the, the print media industry was just like going through a major, major change, which still is kind of continuing to But do. at that time, it really was going through this change. Yeah. yeah they yeah, they yeah. were trying to find their feet in, in online. Yeah, and it, how, how to monetize that. Um, yeah. All that. Okay, so you went in to, be, to study law then. Yeah, and I thought it was some sort of like a middle ground between something practical uh, like finance and something a little bit more literary and analytical. Oh, no, no, finance is very analytical, but a little bit more kind of dealing with words and... You could uh, spread your wings a little bit more yeah. and have a conversation that you probably wanted to have that wasn't available in yeah. such a rigid sort yeah. of finance world. Yeah, yeah, that was my misconception. <laughs> of the finance world? Oh, no, no, of the... Of law school. <laughs> law school's hell. Um, was it terrible? Yeah, no, no, I mean, I, I learned a lot. I really appreciate... But it had to be hard. It, it was very, very, very hard. <laughs> You went to NY School of Law as well. Yes, NYU. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you get out of law school, mm -hmm. and then did you start practicing in art law, or what did you? No, I actually started uh, at the Business Institute right away. Um, oh, you did? They just, yeah, they, they it, it's uh, so. Yeah, explain um, Sotheby's Institute for those who don't know. So it's been it, around for over 40 years. Started out in London. It originally started. Uh, it was kind of like the in-house training program for the auction houses. So they'd move the people out of this school into the auction houses directly. The educational component was something that was originally the like in-house training for their own employees. That's but what I, I mean. Think, yeah. I, think, I think their clients started asking that like their children or people they know be able to take the program. And then they established it into like proper schools. Um, and the Sotheby's Institute currently is run independently, but um, we have locations in New York. Independently from the actual auction, auction house. house. Yeah. Um, New York, London, and now L.A. for the past three years, I think. Uh, How many and, students? And it's a master's program. Uh, in L.A., it's about 40, 50. Um, in New York, 100 or so. And you were um, teaching at the New York yes, branch? Yes, for four and a half years, and then I just moved out here in January. It's a master's program, the uh, degree that... I am involved with this, the master's in art business. So we cover, um, you know, it's just like art market history. We, we cover kind of like basic econ and finance, art market history, just like how the art world works. Um, so what's the intention? Law. What do you, you walk out of there with an MA? Yes. Um, and and it's, it's for people, it's kind of like an MBA program 
like a, a business bespoke and MBA program for people who want to work in the business side of the art world. So most of the art students end up working at either the auction houses or galleries, become art advisors, um, and then, you know, the other sort of uh, businesses in the art world. So like inf influential shipping. positions of sort of dealing with the back end of like how we deal with all these things in, right. in the art world. Right, right. Money. <laughs> right. Right. So you didn't get very far away from the money issue. <laughs> yeah, no, and it was it was interesting because like I thought that I left the whole um finance world for good, but I'm in my current position, I'm able to utilize like all the different aspects of my Do you think that was one of the reasons they wanted to hire you? Did they know they were getting that to begin with? Yeah, no, um it's it's proven to be quite versatile, my experience and skill set. You know, and in and, and ways that I find really rewarding. And like what? Um, no, specifically. And, and, no, and that like I, th I thought a lot of the things I did in my twenties were just like a, you know, protracted quarter life crisis, just jumping from one industry or job yeah. to another. They all um, fit together. Yeah. Now I'm in a position where I can kind of synthesize across all the different like experiences and knowledge that I have, and you know, hopefully work towards providing more platforms for artists to be able to do what they're doing and make great work. Yeah. So you're not, this is what I find like really, really interesting about like what you do. You could take a, a look at this and sort of think of it in terms of just being a financial application or like training people who are dealing with things um, behind the scenes. But you also, you, you do these, these other things that are very in tune with like helping the artist produce work that is shown in a way that is respectful of the artist and sort of separates it from this uh, commercial transaction. So I'm thinking specifically of let's let's talk about a bit about the fair, the nude art fair. Mm -hmm. it, that's the correct term, right? Yeah, is, we call it a show, but it's a fair. It's it, not a fair. <laughs> it, it is, but it's a fair in the in the sense that like it's a bunch of people come together to right. produce these things. Right. Okay, so you have a partner in this. Yes, Kate Bryan, uh, who's in New York still, and she has a day job as well too. She does. Um, she works at Phillips Ocean House, heading the evening sale. Yeah, so you both are talking the same language, evidently, when you first meet. Mm -hmm. So where did you meet Kate? Oh, we actually went to high school together. You did? Yeah, like, so 20, we just had our... Okay, let's go back in time. Where did you guys go to high school? Uh, we went to this uh, school, Choate, in Connecticut. Um, it's a boarding school. I had no idea. Okay, so... Yeah, so um, we were like 13, you, literally 20 years ago. You, um, your family is in Korea, though. Yes. So, so how the hell did you end up in Connecticut? I came to the States when I was like 10 to study. Um, and I was only supposed to be here for like a year. Like boarding school? No, I was in a boarding school then. My father was on some like visiting scholar program. So you came Michigan. over with your dad? Yeah. Um, and, um, and what was the business your dad was doing? Uh, he worked in finance, but on like the regulatory side for the government. Um, so it makes sense that you would go into some type of banking then too. Yeah, the, 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 the parental desire was for me to go into that direction. And yeah. Um, but no, like I was happy to. You can't. Yeah, like I didn't necessarily, the, 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 it was never our intention for me to stay and like live in the States permanently. Did your dad but, stay with you or did he go no, back? No, he had to go back after a year. And then um, my grandmother, who raised us when we were little, um, in Korea? Came, yeah, came, and then I went to boarding school. Like, Oh, so your, your grandma came over and lived over here then so that you could stay? Yeah. When you were yeah. like 11? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have a sister? 
I have an older sister, but she never came here. So, so it was just you? Mm-hmm. So your grandma came to live in the States for you to stay. Right. That's amazing. <laughs> what a wonderful woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You no, know, very, very close. She's a magnificent lady. Is she still alive? She is. Um, she's in the States still, actually. Whereabouts? Uh, in New York, upstate. So. so when you when she came and moved, where did she move to? Upstate New York? or? Yeah, so we lived in Westchester for a couple of years, and then I went to boarding school. And then she stayed while you were in boarding school, or no? Yeah, and then she, yeah, so back and forth from Korea here. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So then you're learning a lot about my life. This is the point. <laughs> <laughs> like it all informs everything and where you're at yeah. currently, you know? Right, right, right. So you met Kate when you were in high school together yes. in Connecticut. Yes. And then you, we actually um, weren't necessarily in the same circles in high school, Yeah. Um, but we reconnected in the art world. You know, not a lot of people ended up working in the art world from a New England boarding school. So. They don't? I feel like that's all the people who are in the art world. Um, so you met back in New York, evidently, when you were going to law school or not? Yes. Yes. Okay. So you were going to law school and you had started having a conversation about like the arts, evidently, or like what brought about the, the nude art fair? Like where did that come from? Well, so, I mean, you know, we, we were going around galleries together and doing studio visits and things like that. And I, I had been living in Bushwick for a few years. And I thought that there was a lot of great programming being done by like what, artist-run galleries. What year is this? The first nude was in 2014. So yeah, like 2013, okay. I guess. Um, well, yeah, so I, I thought there was a lot of great programming being done by alternative spaces in the area. Like interstate projects is over there. Yeah, or, yeah. Um, Signals there. Yeah. Um, and there are spaces like, you know, uh, more long-running spaces like nurture art and momenta which is an amazing history starting from the 80s as an artist-run alternative space and you know they they've given like first shows to jim hodges really yeah yeah well i had no idea yeah, okay i came from philadelphia but anyway no so, so i'm sorry there's, go there's on a great history story. of and um uh current exciting vibrant scene of alternative spaces in bushwick and kind of like the larger new york area and we thought that it would be, could be a great additive thing to bring the art fair mechanism, which, you know, I know like a lot of people have um, their issues about it, but with it the fair is, in general. Yeah. Um, how it kind of like commercializes the art world and accelerates the market um, and puts a lot of pressure on dealers and artists. But, but your idea of a fair is completely. Off. I mean, it, it was it was it was it was a uh, yeah bringing the art fair model to kind of um, projects that aren't necessarily part of. It that seemed system. like it was supposed to co-op that idea and sort of turn it into something that was more in tune with what the artists could do and creating projects for these artists to produce the work and show it in an alternative space. Yeah, and and hopefully yeah, and and and, and kind of like like and bring um, the types of attention from more critics and collectors that haven't necessarily might might not have been very familiar so who are the type of people that are invited to come to the fair for you guys and is there like a fair booth fee or how does it work yeah so uh it's it's kind of invite only um it's not kind of it's invite only it's invite only (laughs) but a lot of people approach us throughout the year and we follow their programming and um kind of make our decisions based on that i mean it's it's a very, very small project it's not that um well, it takes a, it still takes a ton of oh, work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you no, guys it, are like yeah, working on this thing yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um, and in fact, you just changed the dates of it so it doesn't correspond with the the fair season and, and certain things too. So right. Kate doesn't get overloaded. Right. Right. Um, and we 
that it, it, it's a split cost model. So whatever it costs for us to produce, um, we split it among the galleries. Um, and so it it's zero profit. Fee. Oh yeah, it, it's it's a, it's a it's a yeah. We're not exactly a nonprofit, but it's very much a it's a it's an innovative no profit business model. Yeah, and, quite and, many of those that yeah, like and, exist in the art and, world, and that's what a lot of these um, alternative spaces are about. Um, and we wanted to kind of like provide a platform that hopefully contributes something to uh, the contemporary art world discourse. Um, and you know, we're very happy with what we've been able to do thus far and you didn't only do it in to continue bushwick though either you've done it in miami as well too during basel yeah that was more like a kind of like a uh event a party pop, yeah pop-up event party <laughs> thing that we did with uh, metro pcs from la it was um, a beautiful thing too it was really a lot of fun thank you yeah um it's a it's a passion project so where um, do you see it going from here uh do you have an intent do you know how long it's going to last i guess are you just going with the flow and seeing how it works? We're kind of going with the flow. I mean, we both have full-time jobs. So like, we're not necessarily hanging on to it to be kind of a full-time jobs for us. And I don't think it ne would necessarily work. It's not a model and, that can yeah you can survive on necessarily. But yeah, it, yeah. Um, and no, like we discussed things, and you know, like some of these. Uh, artist-run alternative spaces become proper commercial galleries and at that point what is their kind of well you know they just how they they just stopped the bushwick open studios did uh, you I see think, this i think they moved it to october or they switched it around because they felt like it was being co-opted by us <laughs> no no no, um, no 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 commercial businesses yeah, no, in and, the area yeah and like kate and i actually um have discussed that as well uh it's it it's become like a very much of like a big neighborhood festival uh, where people like see dollar signs. Yeah. It's like a block party situation and it's gone away from like just being about going and seeing good art that isn't necessarily seen. Yeah. And even like a lot of the um, uh, open studio projects had become organized in ways that I think what was a, instead of being about like, come look at my work in the studio, it's more like a, turned into sort of a business model type thing for like studios and throwing like events and yeah not yeah not that they were making money from it necessarily yeah I, th I think i think it became uh, there was a lot of noise around that that made it difficult for artists to be able to um, show their work and open up their studios in a common, in the way that yeah the whole was intended, was intended to begin with yeah my studio used to be over there over on morgan street oh yeah yeah right morgan and uh or groton uh what was it? One one six Rotten. Is it still the building's full of like art studios over there too? Yeah, so that's uh, yeah. I lived on um, Knickerbocker and Thames. So yeah, yeah. I was there like all the time. But this was like early Bushwick before it started. Right. No, it's it's really insane what happened to Bushwick. It's unbelievable. I walked. I had a friend that walked, came out of the subway over on Morgan Street stop once when I was living there, and somebody threw a brick and hit him in the head, and he fell down the stairs, and he got back up and he like ran outside and there was a group of kids and he was like, hey. Who just threw that brick? And they all pulled like nine millimeters on him. And he was like, I'm good. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's I, much I, different today. Yeah I, yeah. I was not around for those OG days. But yeah, I've, I've heard stories. They, they had a, do, do you, you, there's a motorcycle shop over there too. Yeah. yeah. You know that motorcycle shop? Yeah, no, it's still there. Okay. Yeah. It got busted by the FBI and we, it was written up. Was it in the times? I think it was in New York times where it was sort of a gang and they were like selling shit out of there, but they had a loaded cannon a fucking cannon pointed toward the door of that shop the entire yeah. time. So every time you walk by there, there was a cannon facing you that was loaded and ready to fire. 
No, but, and like, and and that's kind of like a question that I think we uh, give ourselves too much credit, but we we were aware of and tried to do some thinking about the whole kind of like issues of gentrification and you know what our project and what frankly the artist community brings to a neighborhood. Yeah, um, you know, I know that that's an issue in LA as well. Um, you don't want to run the motorcycle gangs out. I can totally see. <laughs> Yeah, um, and it's 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 a it's 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 a very kind of like complicated issue, and I think about it a lot. Um, well, too, also here in LA, you've moved into a neighborhood that is little. Yeah, so I'm I'm based in MacArthur Park now. So um, your gallery, Skibum MacArthur, mm-hmm. which is a play on your name and the location, right? Opened how long ago? Uh, in February, so like three four months ago. Maybe. Yeah, it's in near MacArthur Park. Near uh, some other galleries that have opened up in the area as well, too. Mm-hmm. Vacancies down there. Mm-hmm. Let's go from you doing the nude fair and teaching at Sotheby's in New York. Why did you, why LA? Because you were coming out here a lot. You were visiting a ton. Yeah, I was coming out here a lot. So my best friend from law school moved out here uh, with his partner. And How long uh, before you? Like three years ago, I guess. Okay. Um, and I had been coming and Kate and I did like a visit uh, out here where I think I met a lot of you guys. And... I was just really excited by um, what's happening in the LA art world. I and mean, this is like the most trite thing. Like, you know, everyone, their mother's moving to LA. And um, uh, your grandma didn't move with you, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to. I I, I, I I wanted to be a part of it. And I frankly wanted like a lifestyle change as well. Um, and New York's rough, huh? Yeah, and I mean, like, just like my the loft that I was living in Bushwick is so expensive now. Um, oh, really? And just it, it, yeah. I, I, I felt ready for a change. I've been in New York for eleven years. Um, and it's That's a long time. Amazing. I, I love New York. I go back all the time, and it's really, uh, people, people are what make it the city that it is. I think the thing that's really exciting about LA is that I think it's a there's a real kind of like like can-do attitude and um, you see sense it. of freedom in LA that you can kind of do the types of projects you want to. And have the support. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to follow whatever like strictures or expectations people might have. And it is this something that's like very much ingrained into the spirit and philosophy and the history of the city. Um, and I think it's a very interesting right moment, especially for the art world. And I just kind of wanted to come see what was up and how I might be a part of that in whatever way I can. It wasn't really like like opening up the space thing was kind of a last minute decision. And it you was, didn't make that before you decided to move? No, 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 not at all. Really? Um, it was re- no, it was really. Uh, I mean, honestly, I'm doing it because I can. Because it's I available. Can, I can afford to do it. I kind of have the mental space. And when you it. say you can afford to do it, it doesn't mean you have tons of money in your pocket. It no, means no, that no. it's it affordable means, here yeah, to do it. Right, 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 right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And do it to, and to be able to do it in a way that is good for the I, artist and for you up to the scale and level of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do your space is beautiful. Thank you. It's really, really nice. High ceilings. I sort of, when I walked in, I sort of compared it to the um, downtown Mary Boone space mm-hmm. with the arch ceilings. Mm-hmm. On like an L.A. style level. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Mary Boone better watch out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, I just 
saw the space and was like, oh, I'd love to be able this to. This is it. Yeah, she'll work here. Um, so what is the, okay, let's start. Are you representing artists in the space? No, I mean, it's a project space and it's really, I kind of run it by myself. With, but with a lot you're of selling work out of from, it. Yes, but like not in any professional manner it's like when people come and really love the work yeah you're not pushing for sales off of everything you're pushing for showing the work that you want to show in the space yeah no yeah it's it's yeah um and right, the, right the, now it's kind of worked out well um and the and model that you have too the artists come and sort of make the work in the space too sometimes right the first show yeah, did at least yeah yeah no and, and, the, and the second show she made part of the work she did okay so let's too. the, and the I think, second I, show is isabel yellen yeah, and I think that's it's it's a it's it's been an interesting thing, and honestly, it was that the whole like making the work in the space thing was uh, dictated by um, my limitations. <laughs> you mean for like shipping costs and yeah. everything? Um, but it's worked out in that I think you sort of provide a residency. Work, yeah, and and the work is very much the work um, is very much informed by the space and the light. Like I'm mean, one of the kind of most revelatory things about moving to LA that I didn't appreciate till I lived here is the light, the quality of the light. It's and insane, the, and the right? the different kind of um, optical experience. That well, you it's no wonder that the light and space movement started in Los yeah. Angeles. Yeah, oh, totally, totally, totally. And you don't, it's one of those things you don't quite understand until you move here. Yeah. It's one, of, this is this, you were talking about trite. I will tell you a very trite thing that I say to people. Like, it, it sounds so ridiculous and sort of cliche, but like, I didn't understand what a Rouché painting was about until I moved to LA. Oh my God. Yeah, no, totally. I, I actually been telling, I've been telling that to people all, all the time. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah. I had no yeah. idea. I thought yeah. like Rouché paintings were just sort of like, ah, come on. And then I moved out here and I was like, oh my God, it's like an emotion. Yeah. In this really crazy sort of like cliche way, it just, you can feel that after you've lived here. And it's not something you experience by driving through or being here a short time. Mm -hmm. It's by actually living here. Yeah. No. And, and no, and like, you know, like the first couple of months I woke up in the, every morning and it was like, fuck another perfect day. It's like crazy. You feel, it felt like a Disney movie. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> I, I, um, yeah. And I think, I think the artist kind of like making the work in the space has informed the work that's being made yeah, and shown. Yeah. On your on your second show too, didn't you get like an, a critic's pick? Yeah. You yeah, got an art form's critic pick. Yeah, I mean, this is like super exciting for us. This is not a insignificant thing that you're doing. Mm -hmm. This is like oh, a cool. proper space where like good work is being shown in a way that is like really great. I haven't really thought long term about like what I want out of the space or the project. Maybe that's like why that. it's working. But yeah, um uh very I, i've enjoyed it it's been a lot more work than i thought seriously but yeah but uh i i've i'm enjoying what? it very much and the dialogue what? that i'm having with the artists and the community has been great so let's go into that work and like what what part about it is like taking up more time than you thought it was going to take because you like frankly mm -hmm. you're very business-minded you would have like thought these things through and known sort of like where the pacing would have been because you've already run the nude fair, you've done all these other things. Like what part of it was sort of a surprise? Uh, one thing that I realized that I had no idea about was just the, um, uh, the, the pace of art seeing in LA. What do you mean? Like people coming and viewing? Yeah. I mean, it's a very deliberate exercise to go to go see art shows in LA in ways that it kind of isn't in New York. In what way? I don't understand that. Really? Well, you could just be like, 
having a meeting or running an errand somewhere in New York and be like, oh, I'll just pop into a few galleries. Yeah, no, people, I guess it is deliberate. You have to like plan for it here. You have to drive there, find parking, and you're probably not going to just pop in and like look at the art for two minutes because you've made all that effort. So you see people like writing you to plan a visit? Yeah, I mean, it, it's been by appointment. Like we've just instituted uh, Saturday open hours from three to six, but yeah, it's usually it's by appointment and, and then just, just kind of like the back and forth and the follow ups that you have to do has been that's that's been you got to chase the stuff down a little bit. Yeah, that's been something that I haven't quite uh, I, I didn't quite expect. And I know that the difference between like the the walkthroughs, like in New York, you might have 150 people a day, and like LA, you have three. Mm-hmm. So people don't walk through, right? So this this idea that like um, if you open a gallery out here, you're going to get like walkthrough business, or it's just going to be because the community is so welcoming and everything. It is, but you it's so expansive and sort of spread out all over the place that you you're right. You really have to be prepared to hit it in a different way than probably you would in New York. Yeah, which is why I think events are very important here, like openings. Closings, and closing events. Yeah, and readings, performances, whatever, what have you. Um, and Your opening events have been very... Which is also why scale, I think, is kind of important in LA. Scale in what way? I mean, just bigger spaces and uh, breadth of programming. I, I mean, oh. like something like something like kind of like the, 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 the type of excitement the Broad has been able to generate. And yeah, but the, don't you the think incredible um, Hauser and Worth Shimmel space that opened up? Right, but you're talking about like money, you know what I mean? And having the availability to build a space that is sort of like a, a mecca. Yeah, but 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 I guess that's the thing is that a lot of these people are able to do it at frankly a fraction of the cost. That is that true. So how does York it? And places. I guess it translates into lo- having lots of smaller galleries here run programming that is they would be not be able to do in New York because of money. Yeah, no, and, and, and that's such a refreshing, exciting thing is that I think there's a really dynamic, great scene of alternative space programming in L.A. right now. Um, and, yeah, and people are totally willing to drive out to Highland Park and come out to MacArthur Park and, you know, wherever else that I haven't quite explored yet. I wanted to talk about... We- we had been speaking before about well, there's sort of movements in art, right? Where like galleries will pick up certain people and then decide they're going to go after a different uh, group of people. And we had had conversations about it is sort of uh, in vogue right now to collect older artists. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk to you a bit about, because we had a really interesting conversation previously about Korean art mm-hmm. and Korean artists and these going into Korea. And can, you know, where I'm leading with this. The, the older artists in Korea and the sort of movement in Korea. Yeah, the Tansakwa movement, which has been like all the rage and like really the, some of the, one of the most in, insane phenomena I've seen in the art world. Where, I mean, I, I can't think of any time when a one movement has been picked up with such brio by huge swath of international blue chip dealers and museums. Okay, so let's talk about the movement a little bit and explain mm-hmm. what that is, and then we can go into like where the, the drive is to sort of pick that up. What, what was the movement? So it's a movement called Tansakwa, um, and I mean, with the caveat that it's not really a movement and that they weren't necessarily working together and that there was no like manifesto and they didn't brand themselves as Tansakwa. Tansakwa literally translates to monochrome painting. Um, so these were artists, a group of artists... Um, in the kind of like the avant-garde art circles of Korea 
in the 1970s. Um, interesting thing I should note is that, you know, when we think about Korea and the whole kind of like north-south divide, you know, north is supposed to be like the communist authoritarian regime and South Korea is supposed to be like the, 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 the you know, beacon of democracy. Um, but really, like even in my lifetime, when I was growing up in the 80s, Korea was uh, more of a military dictatorship. South Korea. Yes. Um, really? And, yeah. In the 70s, we had this long-running president who instituted um, martial law. There was a curfew. You couldn't be outside after, I think, 10 p.m. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of, obviously, like political censorship. And the, the type of art that the regime promoted were basically the South Korean version of um, socialist realism. And at this time, these artists now considered part of Tansekwa made these, it's funny to say, but it was really process-based abstraction. And this is early 70s? Yeah, early 70s up until like early 80s, I would say it was like okay. when they were very active. Were there specific artists in that movement? Yeah, so um, uh, the most prominent being Liu Fan, um, who was kind of like who acted as a bridge. So, so, so an interesting thing also about the, the Korean kind of uh, avant-garde art tradition is that you know, their um, access to the international contemporary art discourse was through Japan, you know, obviously with whom we have a thorny, like... Tension-based um, yeah, uh, relationship. Yeah, like with their occupation and, and everything. Um, through Japan to France. So they were more in dialogue with art informel rather than like abstract expressionism or pop art. Okay. So, so Leo Fan had been working in Japan for a while, and obviously, you know, one of the kind of the, he, he provided the philosophical underpinnings for Monoha, but he's also he's kind of a, probably the, the most well-known proponent of uh, uh, Tansakwa. and then there are other artists who've achieved great success, like Pak Sobo, who yeah. makes these kind of um, pencil scribbling paintings. Um, very kind of methodical and ritualistic, and he compares it to like a the, the Buddhist practice of emptying oneself by repetition. But they're um, all out of the same era. Yeah, so they're all in their eighties. Um, Were there any females? No, no, not in this particular. Is it because of the cultural relationship to women? Yeah, in no, the we arts? have we actually have a few female artists who are very, like uh, like Chung Gyeongja, who is a very prominent post-war artist in Korea. She actually is a late artist. Is uh, she's passed older, away now? Yeah, older than the Tansekwa artists, but yeah, I mean, in, even still, I think opportunities are very uh, limited. Yeah, Chung Sanghwa, who is an artist in, from the Tansaku movement has a huge week coming up actually uh, at, with opening shows at Dominique Levy and Green Naftali. Really? Yeah, this uh, in New York. Well, this is a very timely interview then. Yeah. <laughs> well, by the time it comes out. <laughs> no, no, I'll put, this, I'll put this out right away. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, and, and it's been incredible. And I think it's the type of thing that uh, the art, market and also kind of the, the the art history community is really looking for you know trying to look beyond the very west-centric narrative of contemporary art history well you told me something that was interesting to me is that you were getting phone calls 
about where these people could find these. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I find, I think that's just amazing. Yeah. So it was, and 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 how fast it happened. So it really started out with shows at Blum and Poe here, which was curated by Joan Key, the art historian at University of Michigan, who wrote the book on Tansakwa, first book in English, and. And these are like types of like like weird little things. It's like part of the reason why it was um, undiscovered is because there was just no real like text available in English. Really? So the international art world couldn't access it. Is it all good though too? What do you mean? Like the work? Is the work like? No, I I, th- I think they very much stand up to. They do. Yeah. The so really, it's not a it's not a comparison of like whether it's valid like. Yeah, and and it's it's and it's a very. Uh, it's a funny thing because in many ways, I think it's a noble endeavor to broaden the canon and say that not everything worthwhile happened in America and Europe. Without a doubt. At the same time, oftentimes when that conversation starts to happen, it, it's led by this very like relativist rhetoric. It's like, oh, you know, this is like the Korean minimalism and... It's like, oh, like Paxabo is the Korean Sai Twombly and yeah. Chosenwa is the Korean like Agnes Martin. Like it's sort of reductive whatever. too. It doesn't do the work any good. To... Yeah, yeah. But like that's, I think in some ways, like that's the step it inevitably needs to go through. For it um, to be but then I think exposed. I, yeah, but I hope that it um, eventually develops in a way. Where, that is separate from and... Yeah, where it's not kind of like, I don't know, it's, I think it's a... Like, ghettoization of sorts yeah. to always have this um we'll have to reference a white artist right right with with uh, artist of color right right it just it it makes no sense sometimes yeah and there's a and uh, you know I, I i did a very superficial treatment but there's a very uh deep um political and cultural context under which this work was made as well well you're talking about the government like what you were just right. speaking about. So right. it like it is in relation to something very specific that wasn't happening in the West. Yeah, and I think it's as, and I think it's very interesting to explore more deeply. Um, you know what happened in Korea? When in many ways it was a proxy. The Korean War was a proxy war between the Soviet Union and America. Yeah. Um, and all of this happened as a result of that. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. I had absolutely zero idea. Yeah, and, and, and so I actually, yeah, so I, I just came back from Korea. And you go um, there often. Yeah, uh, yeah, like a couple times a year. Um, I, is that it? This year, it might I feel be like more. you've been back there like every three months or so. Uh, no, I was just there two months ago for, uh, we took our students not, to. Seoul not that I'm keeping Basel tabs Hong on Kong. you, by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad someone's looking on my Instagram. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, 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 and it's super interesting because there's this real uh, renewed interest in the larger post-war Korean so art history. what did the students, students think when they went over there? Oh, I think it was... Um, Eye-opening? Yeah, and then kind of like, like incredible because we were able to weave this narrative from Korea, like you know, being able to like go to artist studios and meet with them and see the shows that were being put on there and then go to Basel, Hong Kong and see really like everything come together. Oh, you went to Basel, Hong Kong afterwards? Yes, yes. yes. Oh, it's... Yeah, and like Tansako artists were featured in like seven, eight galleries. So it's totally weird to have it jump into like this idea of seeing it in this um, 
business model essentially going directly into the art fair directly after yeah. that. Yeah. No, and you know, I I don't think honestly, I don't think there are that many of these um underrecognized movements uh left. left. It, and it's kind of crazy because some of the artists are still alive and I tell them like they really are they making money? Um they're making a ton of money. You're gonna but, say shitloads. Yeah. And <laughs> they a lot of them don't quite get it. Like they like they know, like they're excited. Are they in their seventies or eighties? Um, they're old. After like forty years of making work and not really having any sort so of So how does the uh, I know squad about the the Korean art world other than the fact when I went to SVA I would say like out of 30 people in the program 10 of them were from Korea because they paid a higher tuition fee and they went specifically over there like SVA to like get Mm -hmm. so you have all these young artists that were coming back and a lot of the work they were making were like inflatable sculptures and they already had museum shows and like all this Mm -hmm. it's sort of a weird context but everybody was out of soul so my question is basically I don't really get a sense of how big Korea is and where the artwork is being made. Is it mostly in Seoul or like tell me? Yeah. I mean, the Korean, uh, Korea is very interesting because Korea has a, one of the longest histories of contemporary gallery programming. There's some big galleries out of Korea. Yeah. And collecting, like people have been collecting really uh, actively since the seventies. Um, like Kukje is over there. Kukje, Hyundai. Um, Was Arario over there? Yes. Yeah. Uh, in ways that kind of like you don't necessarily see in a lot of other Asian countries. Like are are the collectors even. mostly Korean or where are the collectors coming from? Yeah. 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 And and, and really kind of like uh, a lot of them come from these large conglomerates. So there's a very strong collector base within Korea yeah. itself. Yeah. yeah. All these kind of like. Uh, corporate family collections how big is korea like seoul how many people live in seoul i think like 20 million it's it's, it's a huge metropolis yeah um and are you from seoul is your family from I seoul am, yeah but yeah the, 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 but but the, the current scene i should say is like for the most part there isn't a so there's a really 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 um established blue chip art scene in korea yeah but i think what could uh be more developed are these types of contemporary um, yeah younger? yeah that 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 um give younger artists currently going to school and studying and making work in korea to be able to build careers so most of them end up having to go abroad to make a name for themselves and then they come back and are yeah. able to like produce yeah. yeah yeah really interesting um i mean it's a common story in a lot of kind of like developing emerging economies um i'm hoping that this a renewed international interest in Korean art will be able to um, spread to get some great attention for the younger artists as well. Um, I mean, Gwangju Biennale is obviously very important important for that. Has been in a long time too. Right, right, right. But yeah, but like that's basically been the you know one once every two years the international art world goes and sees what's happening in Korea. So I'm hoping that I can kind of be help move that yeah yeah foster that uh that relationship and the dialogue between Mm -hmm, the korean art world and here or the larger international art world but i mean yeah you're ambitious as hell man uh yeah i mean in in the very small way that i can no it's pretty amazing it's very uh inspiring it's really great thank you um thank you for being on the show kibam 
Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's always lovely to see you. So we'll talk to you very soon. Okay, thanks. Thanks.